Hello, welcome to episode 131 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfrey Deadman, as ever. Renfrey, how are you, mate? You okay? Hello. I'm very good. I'm not getting my episode numbers confused like I did last time. Already doing oh. better than I did this time last week. Oh, guys, if you didn't hear last week's show, check out the hilarity at the start of episode 130. Or... <laughs> I feel like you're or, overselling it by saying or, hilarity. Or, 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 episode 130 or episode 140, as Renfrey called it. Oh, my God. It was a crazy mad mix-up. The kind of thing that you'd get in um, Mrs. Brown's Boys or something like that, okay. wasn't it? I got temporarily confused. Uh, that's all it was. But yes, uh, absolutely hilarious. Goodness me. Oh, so funny. The people, height of comedy. People were calling us the new two Ronnies. We're like... Vic and Bob, weren't we? It was mad. Right. <laughs> like <Yeah>. OTT humour. <laughs> uh, certainly a lot funnier than Weetabix putting beans on a Weetabix. Putting what on a Weetabix? Baked beans. You see that? No. Yeah. It's not uh, April the 1st. What's that nonsense? No, we, Weetabix yesterday tweeted. This, this goes to show how grumpy I am, right? This mm. genuine, genuinely annoyed me to the point my girlfriend was like, you're getting way too annoyed about this oh, yeah. i uh saw a tweet that weetabix put out where they put some beans on a weetabix and all these other companies came in all these social media fuckers came in from every other company and made a little hilarious joke about it and i read the whole thread and i wanted to bully all of them to be honest i was like this isn't funny this isn't <laughs> the reason right you mean this baked good baked beans on a wheat oh, i mean heinz baked beans on a weetabix <laughs> With the tomato sauce. With every... Yeah, a can of... I cannot put this in any clearer terms, Rimfrey. A can of Heinz baked beans on a Weetabix. And I can't I, say any clearer than that. <laughs> and do they expect you to put milk on top of that as well? I would. I don't think so, no. That would be an unholy mess. Well, the whole thing's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's a disaster. <laughs> no, that sounds horrible to me. It's like putting like Coca-Cola in red wine or something. Although apparently that's quite nice actually. But yeah, I can imagine that being quite nice. It's like a kind apparently of alcoholic, alcoholic cherry Coke. It's basically a red wine spritzer. Yeah, really fucked in, <laughs> fucked up one though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. normally white wine and lemonade. What are you playing at? Well, it's it's the equivalent of, isn't it? It's just all the dark flavors. Yeah, to the light ones, I suppose. I, I we, would want to drink that. I'll tell you what, I would like to drink. I know. I would like to drink. Yes! 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 He's done it. He's actually made that a thing. Signature Brew. Go over to signaturebrew.co.uk. Very, very good friends and fantastic supporters of the podcast are the chaps over at Signature Brew. They have been brewing music-inspired beers over in the heart of East London since 2011. Every week I say to you, look at the great bands that they have done beers with. Some bands that we really, really like and have covered a lot. Mogwai sports team. We're reviewing the new Mogwai next week, so yeah. we'll probably give it even more of a big up. Look at Renfrey getting very, doing a I, dance, actually. I, I was actually doing a dance, yeah. Reviewing Mogwai. Um, Jamie Lenman, uh, Mastodon, Enet Shikari, sports team, The Darkness, loads Loads of people. I am. I'm out of. I'm out now. I've, I've drunk all my. Yeah, so have I. Um, 
Simon? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I Please, Mr. Well. Signature Brew, I want some more. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to get some more, but hey, no pressure, guys. Thanks for your support. If you go over to signaturebrew.co.uk, you can put the code RIOTACT in a checkout. You'll get 10% off all of your purchases. And we massively suggest that you do that so thanks very much to them i haven't even said what we're doing on the show this week we are going to be reviewing new music from Haley williams from god is an astronaut from loathe from black country new road from ruins of beverast and from loot before we do that we should also probably point out what we've been up to over on our patreon page you can go over to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast uh, this week just gone Renfrey, we put out our classic album special on, I still don't know what to call it, Seeger Ross's Seeger Ross's untitled third album, parentheses, Fig the Platen, as it's sometimes called, the bracket album, whatever you want to call it. It's untitled. That's the point. I did a lot of listening, as I said. Did a lot of listening in that one. Um, it was good. It was it really was good. Good fun, though, wasn't it? You, you it said was. some very complimentary things about it afterwards, and I very much appreciate that. And it was, yeah, a bit different to what we've done before, but um, that's the whole point of the show, isn't it? Doing things a bit differently. And I think quite a few people have messaged us and gone, this was really, really good. And as you pointed out, it was quite different. And it's made me go, I should really go and listen to Seager Ross mm. a little bit more. And you're right, you should. They're uh, a Definitely one of the most unique bands currently operating in modern popular music that I'm aware of at the moment, for sure. One of the most um, unique album, uh, one of the most unique bands of the 21st century. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're on far safer ground with our next one tomorrow. You and I, Renfrey, you're not going to hear this for about a week or so, but for the five pound a month tierers. Rioteras, yes, that's what I'm going to call them. <laughs> £5 a month, you get two classic albums, so you'll get that Seager Ross one, which is up. And then in a couple of weeks' time, the next one, which we're going to be recording very soon, is on October Rust by Typo Negative, which was my pick. And I've been going deep into the heart of the goth so, over the last so few like days. Slow, hard into the land yeah. of goth. Yeah. I'll do anything to make you come, Steve. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that will... <laughs> If hopefully people know typo negative enough <laughs> to know what that is a reference to. Oh, it's a typo reference, is it? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Anyway, we're going to be doing typo negative. As I said, £5 a month, you get all those classic albums. We've done the Beatles, Weezer, Pink Floyd, Guns N' Roses, Depeche Mode, Pixies, Foo Fighters, System of a Down, Lamb of God, Blur, Cave In, Queens of Stone Age, Beastie Boys, Glassjaw, Opeth, Nick Cave. Loads, loads that we've done so far. Yeah. Um, only, yeah, only one that we're ashamed of, luckily, uh, and <laughs> which I didn't mention, obviously. Uh, and if you don't want to sign up for the five pound tier, you just want to suggest an album for us to talk about, then that's what the Rioters reviews are for a pound or more a month. You can suggest a record. We've just had one of them go up on Paul Simon's Graceland, mm -hmm. which was an album which is a massive record yeah yeah we could have gone on and on and on about that album and we sort of did it's about 68 minutes isn't it i think it's quite a long one yeah mm, i yeah, think it yeah, needed yeah. to be a long one but it it was it was i don't know i mean spoiler alert i don't love the record mm, mm. to be honest i don't think you do either no i think I don't the love it. stuff surrounding it the lure surrounding it is probably for me more interesting than the actual record mm. itself and listening to the music and I mean, I would have happily done a Rioters review just on the 
you can call me owl video and just <laughs> gone fucked off the rest of it personally but you know we could put that up as a 10 pound patron tier <laughs> yeah. um uh yeah i i yeah i but certainly there are a lot of people who absolutely adore that record and um a lot of people of our generation i think i think it's usually parents getting people yeah. into that album generally but it's definitely an interesting record and definitely an interesting one to talk about there's a lot of stuff around it which is really uh, it was quite out of our remit above our pay grade mm. to talk about really but we tried we gave it a go we so, had a go yeah. That's all you can ask of people. Uh, this week, we're going to be putting up another Rioters review. And we had Tom, Tom Dare from the Hellbent for Metal podcast on a couple of weeks ago. And he stuck around after that podcast was recorded and spoke to us about Altars of Plague's second album, Mammal, which mm. is one of his favourite albums ever, ever, ever. Mm. A very interesting record, a very difficult record, a very different record to Paul Simon. That's coming this week. <laughs> yeah think that's pretty good as well so yeah mm. as i said patreon.com forward slash right act podcast if you'd like to sign up to hear those specials also I'm, i should I'm say really glad we waited till we had tom on to do that one because yeah. he is the expert on that stuff. he really so, is yeah. yeah yeah for sure uh i did uh i didn't mention this last week we had a special go up with me talking about stephen wilson's new album oh, yeah. with stephen wilson recently did you ask him do you like your name Stephen? because my name's Stephen, and i like being called Stephen. no i didn't ask him oh that. that's a shame no. uh i no. knew you didn't ask him that because uh i've heard it it's very good lots of pop Thanks, talk man. lovely stuff. loads of pop I, I i loved talking about um all of those things with Stephen wilson i mm. think yeah I, I i think it was it was good and we did talk about prog a little bit, but we didn't really go too much on the... And I think he was quite glad to not be talking about prog too much, you know? Little peek behind the curtain. I was originally going to do the interview and then uh, I heard the album and I said, I think you should do this album, Steve, because it's referencing things that I know nothing about, uh, whereas you know quite a lot about them. Uh, so mm. I think if we had... Done, I think if me and Steve... Stephen Wilson had done the chat, it would have been quite different. And he probably would have been a bit annoyed <laughs> that I was like, <laughs> Porcupine Tree were good, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, they were. Oh, they I were, thought yeah. he'd mind you saying that. He, you know, no. they are. Anyway, uh, that's up now. If you haven't heard it and you'd like to go and listen to it, you can go and listen to me chatting to Stephen Wilson about his new album, which I still maintain is brilliant. It's it's really good. And I have to admit, it's grown on me massively over the past couple of weeks. So, mm. yeah, yeah mm. definitely. So... That's all the extra stuff. Uh, News-wise, I suppose it's fairly slow news week. It's so slow, I nearly put in that Corey Taylor's apparently writing a musical, which we don't have to talk. Which we don't have to talk about at all. But uh, the one thing that did happen and got lots of Iron Maiden fans kind of frothing at the mouth for various reasons. I don't really know. I think they're kind of they they know that it's not going to happen. But the. the uh, the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of 2021, something which we've spoken about a bunch of times over the years in various forms and stuff. And we've always been like, you know, fine, whatever. But I'm always interested to see who they put up as the potential inductees. So that shortlist has come along and it is as follows. Mary J. Blige, starting strong. Uh, fine. Kate Bush, Devo, Foo Fighters, The Go-Go's, Iron Maiden, the aforementioned Iron Maiden, Jay-Z, Shaka Khan, Carol King, Fela Kuti, LL Cool J, 
The New York Dolls, Rage Against the Machine, Todd Rundgren, Tina Turner, and Dion Warwick. Renfrey, hmm. your reactions to that list of people? It seems very strong. I suppose one of my reactions is I'm surprised that some people aren't already in there. I'm surprised, I don't know, Kate Bush isn't in there, for example. Carol King, I guess. New York Dolls. Tina um, Turner's not Tina in there. Tina Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, that's, oh, right. that's wow. That's mad. Mm. So me, to me, that seems completely. I'm not saying Tina Turner is my favourite artist from that group of artists, but Tina Turner mm. should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, shouldn't she? Yeah, you would have thought so. But uh, I mean, I suppose this is why I don't really pay all that much attention to this sort of thing. Um, but um, yeah, um, it seems relatively strong to me. I like the. I don't really know all that much about the Go Go's. I mean, I know of them, but I don't know all mm. that much about them. Uh, but everyone else, yeah, seems fair enough to me. Um, do you do you really think that Iron Maiden won't be in with a shot? Yeah, I, I don't think Iron Maiden will get in. Really? No. Why is that? No. Because only five are going to get in. And the Foo Fighters are a shoo-in, I would mm -hmm. say. It's their first go at being nominated and they're almost certainly bound to get in yeah i, I so. find it impossible really i find it impossible to imagine tina turner won't get in i mean i'm sure she must have been nominated a whole bunch of times before but i can't for the life of me imagine that would seem insane to me that tina turner wouldn't get in but then i suppose it's tina turner do people really even think about tina turner that much these days mm. i'm not sure if they do but it seems mad so, but anyway i would expect I, I don't know. I would expect Tina Turner to get in, but I just can't. I'm stunned that she's not really in there. Well, I can't believe. Simply the best, isn't she? <laughs> she is. Yes. Uh, I mean, we don't need another hero, so she'll do for me. Um, <laughs> should we do more? Do do? No, no. Okay, fine. <laughs> I was embarrassed Jay enough when I did the first one. Yeah. Jay Z will get in. Yeah, I would expect Jay Z to get in. Yeah. I fully expect Jay Z to get in, and then the sort of rock community to go fucking mad when Jay-Z gets in. Jay-Z. It's called the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, the Rock, rock Hall. me. Jay-Z absolutely deserves to be in there. Uh, far more than a lot of people, I would say, on here. People like Mary J. Blige and Shaka Khan. I mean, Shaka Khan's good and everything and it's got some... But is anyone really like, oh, I love Shaka Khan. I don't know. And Mary J. Blige, I mean, Mary J. Blige does feel like quite a step away from if we're going to be like, oh, rock. I mean, at least Jay-Z is, that's a sort of alternative thing at the very least, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Carol King. I mean, I would kind of expect, I mean, Carol King, you would expect to have already been there for the songs she's written. I thought so. And yeah. how, again, I mean, the New York Dolls, I think, have a bit of a chance because... I mean, it kind of transparent after Sylvian Sylvian passed away for the New York Dolls to get a nomination. Mm, mm. That feels like typical bandwagon hopping in the same way as when um, when Joe Ramone died, the Ramones went straight in. Yeah. And then Kate Bush as well. I would fully expect. I mean, you like to me again. That's mad that Kate Bush isn't in there. Yeah, it's absolutely stunned. mad. It's it's far madder that Kate Bush and Tina Turner aren't in there than it is Iron Maiden as far as I'm concerned I think that's I, 
it's less really it's less expected i mean i think it is kind of i I think it's kind of bonkers that maiden aren't in there to be honest but but yeah, yeah oh, no doubt but yeah. you know there are some i mean depeche mode only got in last year oh really right okay which you would think they'd be well i don't know maybe that's just my own <clears throat> fucking i don't know my own what's it called brevity that's not the word Bias. at all bias i knew it was something beginning I mean, with b maybe that's my own bias but they yeah. are they are well it, it massive clearly isn't though but they're a stadium band so you know lots mm. of people probably feel that way um, i would you know obviously i'd love to see rage against machine get in there i would love that rage were nominated don't think year, they will they? yeah i feel that they probably won't make it yeah. if i had to pick five what I, who i expect to go in i expect it to be Foo fighters jay-z probably carol king tina turner and funnily enough, Dion Warwick, right? Again, another absolutely legendary artist who's very, very active on Twitter. And I feel like she's kind of reinvented herself as a, you know, a kind of <laughs> the grandma of social media a little bit, Dion Warwick. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. And for that reason, I kind of wonder if she would will get in because she's become a bit of a meme. And that's oh, very disrespectful to say that to someone of... Dion Warwick's Stanley. class and longevity. But at the same time, this is basically, I mean, you know, like I just said about the New York Dolls, New York Dolls have only been nominated because they've just been in the news due to one of their, their founding member mm. passing away. Mm. Hence why they've been nominated. Dion Warwick, you know, this isn't that deeper thing, is it? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We've said it a whole no. bunch of times. It's pretty kind of piggybacky and obvious. And I made an aunt. They aren't cool at the moment, so I don't expect them to go in. I don't really expect Rage to go in. I don't really expect Fela Kuti or LL Cool J to go in, not mm. because they don't deserve to, mm. because or Devo. I don't expect Devo to go in because who's thinking about Devo in mm. 2021? Not many mm. people, I wouldn't mm. imagine. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, what's does, what does Dion Warwick do on uh, Twitter then? Is she following like the James Blunt kind of? Uh, no, she's just model. quite funny. She's okay. just sort of funny. She just sort of James goes, Blunt's I don't know. funny on Twitter. Oh, no, no. James Blunt's, yeah, but James Blunt's deliberately funny, whereas Dion Warwick is sort of, she sort of goes, I don't know what a turf is. Right. <laughs> okay. And people go, it's this. And she goes, all oh, right, they sound horrible. And everyone goes, yeah, they are. And she goes, well, I'm glad I know. Carry oh, that's on. Nice. That's nice. Uh, yeah. And she's, you know, she's just, she sort of doesn't know. And it, she, obviously sees things but goes i don't know what that is <laughs> and then and announces it to twitter yeah oh, yeah okay. all right or, or, or she or she and she who is it she um she quoted the lyrics of uh, an artist i can't remember who it was now she quoted the lyrics of a quite a current rapper and went i heard this song and you said this and i don't know what it means sort of thing and the, whoever the artist was it might have been megan the stallion was like, oh my God, I can't believe Dion Warwick's talking about my music. And, and you know, it, it's just made her kind of call to a new generation. Okay, yeah. She's asking about recommendations for Dua Lipa. Uh, yeah. I see. Uh, she's wished Britney Spears a wonderful day um, recently. Um, yeah, it seems very nice. It seems like a lovely thing to follow and be a part of. Yeah, and she's great as well. 
you know, anyway, before this. But I think that thing will probably... So, yeah, I would fully expect... I mean, her and the Foo Fighters, I'm almost like, well, they're bound. They're the two I'm almost certain will get. And Jay-Z, are the, they're the three that I'm like, they're definitely getting. Yeah. I, I think, reckon. I think your um, rhetoric regarding New York Dolls is probably accurate as well. So then, yeah, probably Tina Turner on top of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's our predictions. Yeah. Not Maiden. Sorry, chaps. Sorry, we'll you're not see. getting in. But hey, it means you'll be able to get really annoyed about it and say how it's rubbish and you don't care. It also, it, it doesn't really mean anything. No. <laughs> so <laughs> you can get annoyed about it if you want. But, you know, it, there's not really much point. No. But don't get annoyed in that way where you go, God, this is awful. I don't care. Good. Don't care. Who cares? Oh, uh, Deep Purple aren't in. So, you know, how are, <laughs> how are NWA in there when fucking Richie Blackmore's <laughs> rainbow aren't in there. Well, because they're far more significant and group yeah. that would be my suggestion. Anyway, but yeah, but ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's just an interesting little thing, mm. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think that's a pretty strong group of people. There's no one there. I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't really care for Mary J. Blige's music, mm. even though she's obviously very talented. But everyone else, I'm like, I wouldn't have any problem with them getting in at all no not particularly no that seems fine to me no idea who the mm. go-go's are but other than that no. well the go-go's it's um uh belinda carlisle and jane wedlin oh well belinda carlisle deserves to be in there so that's fine with me yeah do you like it. belinda carlisle well i think she has an incredible way with a melody name more than one belinda carlisle song <laughs> you don't know any other Belinda Carlisle song, do you? You just know I, Heaven is a Place on Earth. I know them if they you came know, on. Circle in the Sand. And, you know that one? I, yes. <laughs> I like I, I like a bit of Belinda Carlisle. I like no, good. Comes on. I like what I hear. It's good. And Jane Wedlin, of course, did Rush Hour as covered by Joyrider in the 90s. Ooh, you send me a Timmy to the Rush Hour. And they were one of the first, they probably were the first sort of female punk rock group. New wavy punk, like them and the bangles. It's all that sort of mm. thing, isn't it? X-ray specs? Oh, well, they were. Well, 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 I mean, X-ray specs are not like, oh. it's more like new wavy sort of thing. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I'd be happy to see them go in. Quite good. Do like Belinda Carlisle, though. Yeah, we're both great. we're both huge fans. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not pretending <laughs> I'm a massive. I'm just saying when Belinda Carlisle comes on, I'm like, oh, this is good for what this is. This is very good. It's very well done. I'm gonna. I'm not letting this go. By the way, I'm gonna. Uh, we're gonna get, see what Belinda Carlisle's biggest songs are. What? Leave a light on. That's the other one. Baby, leave a light on for me. Do you remember that song? Yes. I'll be there before you close the door. Anyway, I can't believe. That you've put so much scrutiny under me saying something so surreptitious as just like, I quite like Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Name name all of her B-sides. I'm gatekeeping Belinda Carlisle. I just, I quite like her. I don't think she's... No, no, like, no, no, no. I wasn't having a go. I wasn't having a go. No. I just was like, yeah, because no one really knows any other song, really, do they? By well, Belinda Carlisle, other than Heaven is a Place on Earth. 
I mean, I, I know that I do know other songs because my uh, one of my best friends from home was a massive Belinda Carlisle fan. And we used to listen to her great. I think it was her greatest hits. Um, See, even that, I'm like, is there? There's such a thing as a massive Belinda Carlisle fan that it does. does I didn't know. I didn't know. I think there is. Yeah, I think there is. You know, people who usually don't like music. You know. <laughs> oh fuck off! <laughs> you, you know how much you like Belinda Carlisle. Now you're saying to people who like them. Don't like music. Look. No, no, no. She's wonderful. She's got three great singles. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I've got no beef that's with Belinda. I'm, no beef with Belinda. Say. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, that was our stuff about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which descended into chaos. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's do some reviews and start with Hayley Williams, <laughs> the new Belinda Carlisle, as you've all been calling her. <laughs> <laughs> They've both got a really good way around the melody. They do. Flowers for Vases is the second solo album from the former Paramore fronting superstar. Paramore still a thing? No, no. Really she she's very specifically said Paramore have not split up. So uh, because I think uh, some fans were a little bit worried that maybe they had, mm. uh, but no, Paramore are definitely still a thing. And don't okay. panic. The follow-up to don't, don't I'm not either way. Uh, the follow-up to the very good indeed petals for armor. Sorry, mm. I kept calling it petals for amor because yeah. I thought it was me. I, I, I just well because amor and petals mm. seem like they go together. I mean, I get it more as a as a as a title, I guess. Petals for armor. Mm. It's like delicate yeah, armor. Yeah, it's a it's a oxymoron. You're um, an I, I, thank you. <laughs> uh, and but yeah, all right. It's petals for armor. Thanks, guys, for pointing that out to me. This has been pegged as a sort of prequel to that record. This record that we're talking about. Yeah, that's what she said. Um, actually, I will read a little statement that she made because it was actually quite nice and uh, puts a bit of context into the record. So she said, the meaning of the album as a whole is maybe entirely different from diving into each song in particular. For me, there's no better way to tackle these individual subjects other than holistically. The ways I've been given time, forcibly really, to stew on certain pains long enough to understand that they in fact need to be released indefinitely. I may never have been offered such a kindness, an opportunity to tend to the seeds I'd planted to harvest and to weed or prune what is no longer alive in order to make space for the living. I wrote and performed this album in its entirety. That's a career first for me. I recorded it at my home in Nashville, the home at which I've resided since Paramore released After Laughter. 2020 was really hard, but I'm alive. And so my job is to keep living and help others to do the same. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a quarantine album, which is becoming a bit of a buzzword amongst music journalists now. Now yep. this seems to be a, a, a genre <laughs> of sorts, uh, the quarantine album. Um, but I guess, I mean, what are the what are the hallmarks of a quarantine album? It's kind of, um, in many senses, a back to basics, stripped back album that concentrates on songwriting, uh, principally, which I don't think is a bad thing. All told, I think that's actually a very good thing. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, a bit bit like what Taylor Swift said. Let's be perfectly honest quite hard to she probably address the the elephant in the room at that point it is quite a taylor swifty um roadmap that Haley williams is following here i think it's i mean she's she's acknowledged that herself to be fair um but um i think i think there are differences as well and also i mean 
Folklore and Evermore, uh, the Taylor Swift albums, very much felt like part and part of the same thing, you know. Um, whereas I think Flowers for Vases is, is a very different record to Petals for Armour. Petals for Armour, of course, was actually written and recorded before all this lockdown stuff happened anyway. And there's essentially four EPs strung together. Uh, three. Three. Three yeah. EPs strung together. Um, but um, this, I mean, whereas Petals for Armour was kind of like, it had like a pop sheen to it, didn't it, I think. Um, and I would say that this album is more, I've seen some people say it's more folky, and I don't think that's actually true. Certainly purists, folk purists would absolutely bulk at that. But it's it's but it is more grounded in more quote unquote real instrumentation. So I think the main ingredients that she uses here are sort of acoustic guitars, piano, and there's a lot of times when she uses um swirling electronics in the background to kind of accentuate the things that she's writing and there's these lovely electronic textures and so on and so forth that are used throughout yeah it's very subtle and slight in comparison with petals for armor i mean sugar on the rim was my favorite song from that mm. record and that was a pretty much a madonna style yeah. electro banger and there's nothing even vaguely approaching that on this record at all no. it is very slight and quite quiet for the most of it i mean i think the first song sets the tone rather well for the rest of the record first thing to go which is just under three minutes long um i mean i have to say i actually found it quite a forgettable opening not really because of the the, the genre or tools that, that she is utilizing um but more because i just didn't find it to be a particularly memorable song if i'm being perfectly honest i did think it was quite uh um oh, yeah a slightly underwhelming opening track mm -hmm. on this on 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 the record but then my limb comes in which is the second mm -hmm. song which i think is the best song on the record i think it's fucking uh, great it's brilliant i love my yeah limb. yeah uh Haley's vocal pattern on it is just wicked yeah. it's got a super the baseline again is amazing and it's her vocals on it are i mean feels like an obvious thing to point to other significant female singer songwriter artists and i don't want to do that just for the sake of doing it but tori amos always had a a sort of level of unpredictability about where her vocal lines were going to go where her these sort of elongated vowels that she'd do and Hayley Williams really reminds me of, of of her on this particular song and I think it's a really great dexterous vocal performance and it's, just a really good song she's using um her full vocal range isn't she with it you mm. know but not in a sort of showy way in a way that um it's not in a it's a way it's in a way that serves the song um I, I love my limits starts with this astonishingly simple guitar part before breaking out into a really cool chorus my limb, my limb, my limb. um not as low as that Sorry, uh, Pete still then <laughs> fucking hell. um but as we hear each repetition of the song and the chorus more elements build build up so so that every chorus is actually totally different but you know it has the same kind of basic structure it's it's 
builds to something really, really cool in less than three minutes. I, th- I think My Limbs is a great song. I really, really like it. Um, yeah. There's quite a few. I think I think there's a few really good songs. I really like um, Trigger, you know, has a really yeah. nice analogy about past toxic relationships that she's been involved with. She sings, I got the trigger, but you hold the gun. How come you never put the safety on? And I think some of these kind of... Sim- it, it, it feels like a very, very, very personal album. Um, Petals for Armour had a lot more kind of um, dance and pep to it. I mean, I think I have to say, like, having lived with Petals for Armour for eight, nine months now, it is a record that I do go back to a, a fair bit. And whilst I find um, that that album, you know, I think we complained at the time that it's a little bit too long. And whilst it has some really strong moments on it, some really strong songs on it, there's it's probably a good sort of at least three, four tracks too long. Um, but those songs that are good on that record, like to me, they kind of sound like classics now, like pop classics. I have, I, I'm pretty kind of stunned by how quickly that album has gone into my sort of psyche, the way that I listen to it. I think this is a far more subtle album. It reminds me of the likes of, you know, Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridges and Lucy Dacre, all of whom appeared on her last record so she's obviously a fan of those artists um it's not as diverse as petals for armor but i think i probably argue that it's more consistent than petals for armor and that wasn't how i felt about it the first time i heard it if i'm totally honest i I had a conversation with you earlier in the week and i was kind of a little bit dismissive of this at first and i think there's this thing that happens and, you know, it's it's probably going to happen quite a lot in lockdown. When when artists release lots of new music in one small period of time, you just feel a little bit like overloaded. And it's just like, oh, it's a bit much. And the first time I listened to this album, I feel like I was just like, eh, I don't, don't really need more Hayley Williams right now. But this is very different to Petals for Armour in a way that yeah. Evermore and Folklore aren't particularly mm. different at all not a massive you know which isn't a massive criticism because I, I like both those records um but this is definitely a different vibe and a different feel um and she's really well suited to it she's a great lyricist she's mm. a really really good lyricist um Haley Williams and I think this album really shows that off I imagine it shows it I mean I haven't listened to Paramore's discography and things like that but I would have thought that this album shows off her lyrical abilities better than any other record she's done just because of the sheer sort of subtleness of it. Yeah. Um, and yes. Well, there's there's a song on it like uh, Good Grief, which is obviously a, a very personal song, which is songs, yeah. talks about not eating for three weeks and how frail she becomes. And it talks a lot about missing someone and personal demons. Now, we don't really know if that person has left or if they're dead mm. or what it is, but... I thought the the starkness of the music really brought out the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Which I absolutely. don't think you get so much. And that's the kind of another highlight for me. And I think the piano in that song that kind of moves like a ticking clock really embodies the sort of narrative and the entire feel of the song. And I, yeah. I, I really like that. And I have to say, I mean, you mentioned Trigger. The rolling piano part in that is probably mm. dynamically and compositionally one of the best things 
on the record it goes up mm. and it goes down mm. it goes slower it goes faster it gets softer it gets louder and then it kind of goes back again and there's a you know for me there's a there's a lot to really like on this record mm. but there's not um but there's a lot of stuff which slightly passed me by a little bit mm. um like trigger i think is one of the songs where like i say the dynamics are more well defined whereas there's a lot of stuff where it starts very quietly and it will build up to something and that will be the entire mm-hmm. journey of the entire of, of the song and i think the kind of some of the slower piano ballady bits the piano and the bass on this record i think is really good she's really good on it um some That's of great. the yeah some of the um some of the songs i mean there's a song called over the hills which has got an actual pop punk chorus on it as well mm. it's got an actual paramore-esque pop punk chorus on a sort of country song and it's really sugary sweet and it's got a bit of like hame about it as well i think yeah i think um which is n- not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination but i don't think it would be a standout on a hame album that okay. song particularly and there's there's bits and bobs that i think like in ordinary i think is an act is a is a really well-made song but it doesn't really do much for me i mean i can't really put my finger on why but it's it's obviously one of the better and sort of more interesting songs on the record compositionally but there is a fair bit on this record which just didn't and hasn't really resonated on with me i'd say half of it i really like and half of it just sort of it does just kind of go past i think the the last bit of the album, there's a bit of a drop off, I think. Well, I don't know if it's fatigue, um, mm. but the few songs at the end, which are kind of about two minutes long, and it just sort of, some of them feel like unfinished business and unfinished ideas or not so good variants on things you've ever heard. Um, Descanos, Descansos, for example, is piano and a bit of humming for two minutes. It hardly sort of feels like a song. I think it would be a good interlude at half the length in the middle of the album. But putting it right near the end of the album, I was like, no, I don't really know. Do you know what? I, I was going to say, I think a lot of these songs have a sort of interlude feel to them because, um, I mean, it's 14 songs over, what, 42 minutes? It is actually a relatively short record. And I think that's why I kind of described it as being more consistent, even though I do actually agree with you because Petals for Armour is 15 songs over 55 minutes. I, I do agree with you to an extent. I mean, it's certainly up and down. Um, the the you know in terms of like the songs that I really really like and the songs that I'm not as keen on. But I think because it's all sort of within um, a sonic template that I like and and kind of builds to something. I think that last song, "Just a Lover," features a, a a really big crescendo. If you took it out of the context of the record, it wouldn't really sound like a big crescendo, but because everything before it has been quite chilled, um, it kind of, it, it reminded me of the last song on that Phoebe Bridges album from last year, except not quite as like, not taken to the same extremes and lengths, but it felt like it was building some t- towards something. And I, I liked the fact that this album felt more like an album than Petals for Armour was. Of course, Bearing in mind Petals for Armour was technically three EPs put together, I guess that's just going to be the nature of it. But this felt like it was, it had a journey from beginning to end. And I think I just preferred that. I definitely think there are moments which aren't strictly necessary, 
But some of those interlude tracks I think are great. I mean, I actually like, I love Discarnos. I think it's really, really cool. Um, and there's one, No Use, No Use, I Just Do, which features a beautiful melancholy piano pattern and those swirling electronics which keep coming in um, as Haley laments sadly that it's no use, I just love you, which is like a really nice juxtaposition between something which is normally quite a sweet thing, but she sounds really sad about it. You know, and that song is like two minutes and 10 seconds or something like that. But I, I actually think the album would be quite a bit worse for it. I kind of felt like in a way some of those shorter, more interlude tracks were some of the most successful in a weird way. Um, but certainly... I think they need if they'd have been peppered throughout the records. Mm, mm. Because uh, it's there just the last few. few. The end. Yeah, yeah, there are quite a few, far a few towards the end. I mean, I think it does finish very strongly with Just the Lover, which yeah. is the last song. Yeah. Um, hearing Haley singing, presumably kind of off mic slightly on a piano at the start, is a really cool mm. opening touch. And it's, I mean, that's got most of what I find good about the album on it. Yeah. You know, those elongated vocal passages I was talking about, that really beautiful clean piano some kind of cure-esque guitar washes and actually like you say a crescendo a bit of distortion as well a a, a tom drum roll going through it's almost like fucking wear your wounds that yeah (laughs) probably the only time um there's distortion on the record as well isn't there yeah pretty much yeah i would have thought um yeah I, i like the fact that it builds to that i mean i've said before like that i'm more of a fan of records than i am of kind of uh albums that sound like they're just collections of songs and as much as i loved petals for armor and i you know when it was good i thought it was actually exceptional um that that did feel like a lot of songs just sort of plumped together whereas this feels cohesive i think and i and i like that about it does every single track on it need to be there no probably not but then it is only 42 minutes so i don't feel it outstays its welcome either personally but i do Mm. i do see what you're saying and i I do agree with you to an extent yeah yeah i mean you know listen fair play to her for getting out of her comfort zone and i think the transition into well i mean if we're being honest the most obvious territory it it, it does you know she's kind of she's kind of gone from pop punk to sort of 80s new wavy pop to kind of grown up pop to now a sort of serious singer songwriter thing all at a time when those things felt quite zeitgeisty. That's not really meant to be a criticism. It's just a sort of observation. That's really. just, that's just circumstances though, isn't it? I, I understand probably what you're is, saying, yeah. but it that's probably circumstantial. Is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it is, but I think, you know, the, the clear and obvious thing to do at this point would be to make a record like this because yeah, it's the thing to cap it. And, and that's not to say that she shouldn't do that because that's the thing that lots of people are doing. Mm. As I said, it's just observation. She's been very good at pretty much everything she's ever put her hand to, to be fair to her. Yeah. This, in my opinion, is the toughest thing for to pull off. Mm-hmm. I would think it's probably the hardest thing to really get right doing this type of music, especially when you've come from a background of doing something very very different like for a very very long time she was in paramore sure she still is in paramore but she spent most of her career in paramore probably not having to think about how to make music in this way i'm sure there are people listening who know more about paramore than me that's most people to be honest because i don't really know that much about paramore 
but I know they're a pop punk band and this is definitely not pop punk but and the, all the kind of hallmarks of pop punk are you know a long way away from what this is mm. Mm. um but it's a tough one to to pull off and i think the fact that she just about does it mm. is credit to her really yeah i i think she i i think when she pulls it off on the strongest tracks the likes of my limb and trigger and uh uh that last track just a lover and so when when she does it well i think she does it really well and she does it <clears throat> debatably as well as anyone else who does it i don't think this record is as consistent as the likes of you know a julian baker record which i mean there's a julian baker record coming out in a couple of weeks time um you know which is spoiler fucking fantastic um uh, or i don't know um uh what was the other example phoebe bridges i don't think she's quite of that kind of standard yeah but you can see that that's what she she admires those artists and that's what she's trying to do and i think when she pulls it when she the best material on here can hold a candle to those artists i don't think it does throughout but when it's good it's really really good and even even the weaker material i don't think there's anything on here which i would say is bad you know mm. uh there's, there's no 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 there's stuff that maybe feels maybe a little bit too slight or maybe could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But as a whole, especially considering I was initially really dismissive of the album, I was just like, oh, we don't really need another one of these, do we? I I've actually really warmed to it. Um, and I actually I, I actually really like it now. I think it's very, very good overall. Yeah, I, I think, the, you know, at its worst, it's all right. Yeah, and at quite. its best, it's good. So, yeah, pretty good. I mean, I still think I probably do like Petal Sarama more just because I like that sort of thing more. I think Petals for Armour, I think Petals for Armour's highs are higher. Yeah, but I, I think I think it's lows are lower. And I think, mm. and, and I still, I still think this is more consistent. So in a weird way i'd probably put them on a level pegging but for totally different reasons if that makes sense that's fair sitting on the fence that's fair not a worry <laughs> at all you do that all right that's hayley williams flowers for vases which is actually got kind of surprised released last week we would have done it last week busy last week we didn't know it was gonna get done this is now yet though our next one is out is out today if you're listening to this podcast today it came out it's the ninth studio album from Irish ambient post-rock band God is an Astronaut. It's called Ghost Tapes Number 10, the follow-up to their 2018 album, album uh, Epitaph. Album. Now, uh, yeah, al album. Um, I've been getting some real mad feedback about this record I, well I, I i haven't been getting nothing to do with me people aren't saying well i've heard the god is an astronaut album well done you well done steve yeah well done for being in the same on the same planet as this band um i'm not really familiar with them but i have seen a lot of people going fucking mad for it losing their shit about this record i'm not really familiar with god as an astronaut as a band although i think i think i saw them at beyond the Redshift, the cold right. lunar festival in 2014 right. i think did they um, play that? I'm pretty sure they did. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, mm. I, people probably will not be surprised to hear that I'm very familiar with God as an Astronaut. I think I'm familiar with all of their albums, actually. Um, uh, they are a very well-regarded instrumental rock band. Some might call them post-rock. Um, we've kind of, um, <laughs> in that Cigarro special that I did, we, that we did, we've uh, sort of said what a nonsense term post-rock is in a lot of ways. But, you know, 
when people think of post-rock, I think this would fall into it. But it's definitely of the more um, uh, riffier ends of the spectrum. I think it would probably be a little bit OTT to call them post-metal, but they're on the fringes between sort of post-metal and post-rock. Uh, sometimes they go th full throttle in a way that Russian circles might do. But at the same time, they also have a element of dreamscapey, elegant, ethereal, pretty stuff, uh, mm. which is more along the realms of Caspian or This Will Destroy You or possibly even Mogwai. Um, and they've been around for just shy of 20 years now. And they've been relatively consistent throughout their career they, they have had highs and lows but i think they are a they're, they're certainly a band who i'm always always interested in um i think this is i think this is a pretty strong release from them but in a way i'm more excited to hear what you think about it because you know this is this is music that i like this is kind of like when we get like a really gnarly hardcore band in i like i i just really like this stuff and yeah i'm i'm like even my least favorite god is an astronaut album is like something that i enjoy do you know what i mean so i'm kind of more interested to hear what you think about it in a way yeah i don't have loads to say about it to be honest i mean what i like it is what i would say mm -hmm. i like that and parts of it i really really like a lot seven tracks of it and a lot of the songs are kind of between six and eight minutes long well, and actually you know, the longest tracks six and a half nearly seven minutes long so yeah between kind of most tracks are you're looking at five to seven minutes long roughly mm -hmm. and you know i like i've said a few times before i i quite like some of that stuff i don't need an absolute shit ton of it in my life to be perfectly honest mm -hmm. but it's got the thing that I need or that I really like, and we sort of said it last week with Memory of Elephants, is these instrumental bands, for them to have a driving quality and for them to be able to mix stuff up as much as possible, Russian Circles and Pelican are two bands I think that I always sort of gravitated towards more because they, they did have that. And that's why I like them. And that's why the first song here, Adrift, is a full-blown head bobbing yeah. head banging song it's really it's really quite good and that's, it has, that's quite typical of god as an astronaut i'd say yeah and it's got a bit of the old sci-fi thing in the background now i'm not saying that they've just added that into their sound i have absolutely no idea but it does feel like that's a thing mm -hmm. at the moment that's the thing that a lot of people's doing and you know it does the thing and that's good enough for me it powers up it sort of rises up i should say it powers along it has a little rest in the middle and then it hits you hard again and that's mm dynamically interesting as yeah. for a song to do that right and it helps that it sounds really nice i mean the song that i really liked was burial which yes. starts with this sort of lovely piano and has this almost militaristic march to it which i really enjoyed and then around four minutes this bass line comes in which is almost like bending the string and it's fucking awesome and with the sort of keys behind it that bit sounded brilliant i mean i like the first song the second song was even better in fact i really really love that song i think it's wicked yeah, and there's enough going on throughout the whole record i think like the start of spectres reminded me of something that a band like sparta would do so mm. it's got a bit of post-hardcore oomph to it as well it's not really very navel gazy or slow or you know what i mean it's it's not a we talked about what it means to be pretentious or whatever but mm -hmm. so i'm not going to mm -hmm. use that word but 
it's not it's not trying i don't really feel like it's going out of its way to just try and be clever i think just you know though detractors of post-rock have this idea that it's all very kind of like navel gazing and boring and you know and i I don't think that's true of god as an astronaut at all they definitely have a lot more oomph and fire and pep and breath stuff than um than a lot of people associate that kind of music with yeah i agree i mean i don't think this is in any way if you put vocals on this this would just be a really good rock, rock album records, yeah a Pretty kind much. of really reg- aggressive post-hardcore stroke progressive rock record mm-hmm. yep you know and i don't I, I mean, well some people might go oh yeah that stuff's really hard work and it's really pretentious but it's not at all really is it no. like those bands they're not this is not this is not i don't want to say it's not musically challenging because that kind of sounds like an insult but it's not meant to be. It's not. It's not like it's not pushing the envelope. This record at all, you know. No, it just sounds no. really fucking good. The ba- it's for me. The bass on this record is wicked. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Like the, whoever the bassist is, is like really bouncy but smooth. And that's again a bit of an oxymoron. But hey, um, <laughs> kind of rubbery but rubbery lusciousness. And rubbery but hard. Yeah, it, it makes everything sound massive and when you get those sort of icy keys and guitar along with this really lucid bass and this really sort of, um, I don't know, just rhythmically uh, engaging throughout. Mm. I mean, I don't really have that much more to say about it other than Mm. it's just a really nice sounding record. And if you like guitars and driving rhythms in rock music, Mm. I think that's kind of enough. This is not some clever chin strokey album at all. And when you say they're a post-rock band, yeah, a lot of people will go, oh God, here we go. But they, I, don't, I don't think it's that at all. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I we are arguably covering two post-rock bands this week and um, they sound completely and utterly different from one another. And I think, you know, I talk about this more in the Cigarette Special, but I think, I think the term post-rock, it, it, I don't think it should even be a genre, really. It's just completely ridiculous and redundant as a term because it encompasses so many things and if we are calling it a genre it's probably the most diverse genre in the world because the majority of instrumental music just gets lumped in with post-rock and it's like okay well that's Mm. lots of things then um but um i mean certainly i think that for all the press releases talk about this being a radically different approach for the band to me it sounds like god is an astronaut kind of doing what they do best to be honest um but that's no bad thing i I think this is a really strong i think it's i think it's a strong release from a really well respected band in uh let's just say the genre of instrumental music Mm. i think um if i were to rank it uh it would probably be my fourth maybe fifth favorite god is an astronaut record somewhere around there um the classic that they've released if you want to hear their classic classic album i would say it'd be uh uh, all is violent all is bright uh which is an absolutely brilliant record that's their second album um they released one in in 2015 called helios cerebrus which is a brilliant latter-day god is an astronaut record and the a still moment ep is absolutely amazing as well um but yeah this is this is a in a, in a weird way, there isn't loads to say about it because this is another good album from a band who I'd probably say are like the top of the second tier for this kind of thing. You know, we've talked about that in the past um, a little bit, like different tiers of bands and musicians. And I'd say they're like, yeah, top of, not they're not like 
Premier League, but they're top of the second league. <laughs> this Let's is where we know what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I am surprised. Serie B is called Renfrew. Serie B. I am mm. surprised not. to learn, and, and not unpleasantly, I'm surprised to learn that people are going quite mad for this record because, as I say, this is really what God as an astronaut have been doing for the last 20 years. Uh, like, it, like nothing, uh, and, and I, don't, I'm, I don't mean that in a bad way. I really like this band, but it's this is this stuff's been around for ages. Maybe it's maybe maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe well, I mean, I, I don't think it is actually because even I was like, oh yeah, I mean, this is this is good. I mean, I didn't know if this is what they always sounded like. I mean, I was going to say to you, is there an album of theirs which you would which you've already done, which you would yeah. suggest is the best thing to listen to? Because yeah. I would happily come back to this and probably take the listen want to listen to their what, what people would consider their best album. Yeah, and then if if, if you just want sort one, of thing, if you just want one, all is violent, all is bright. It's the one. Mm. Yeah. But I think I would probably continue listening to this because it is good. I've just not, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just not really familiar with them as a band. Yeah. But I think this is good. Yeah. Like, it's been the first album of theirs I've listened to. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's good. It, it is, it is. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it is excellent. And if it's not their best album, if it's their fourth best album, then, you know, I mean, the, the problem is, is how much of that do I need? I don't really feel like I need that much of it. Mm. I mean, I'm bloody knowing you, although we two more sound just like it next week anyway. So, you know, I, I certainly don't need loads and loads more, more of these bands. Stop saying that. I mean, like, <laughs> it's all very different. The Mogwai album sounds very different to this. Uh, yeah, so. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just funny. We actually do do. I was thinking, I was like, oh, we do at least one instrumental band a week pretty much at the moment uh, as if it's like the definitive genre of 2021 <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting to that point almost <laughs> a little bit we've got two this week in theory i know well yeah we have um but yeah no i like this it, it is good and yeah but i mean i think it, i read the reviews and sort of went yeah i agree with that yeah it's it's good but yeah. i mean if it's not their best one crack on lads yeah no i don't Go and find so. the best I, I think it's around the around the middle so so there are that yeah i think they have done much better but but this is very strong it's good it's good good all right let's go to tapes number 10 by god is an astronaut that is out right now as is the next album which is another sort of surprise release that we got just after we finished recording last week's show so we couldn't include it last week well we couldn't have done much more last week to be fair but it's a new album from Lo Surprise, a new album from Loathe, The Things They Believe, the record is called. It's the third album from the Liverpudlian metal band. Well, they ain't no metal band anymore, are they, Renfrey? <clears throat> we spoke last year about uh, I Let In and It Took Everything, which was, well, I think, one of the most beloved records of 2020 in the metal scene. Yeah. For like was... newer, younger bands. People love that record yeah it was in my top 10 um you liked it very very much yeah um read i mean a, a lot of people might be quite surprised by this turn of events uh because this is basically a instrumental ambient record more in the vein of stuff like stars of the lid or a winged victory for the sullen than anything else i interviewed eric uh i don't know a year and a half ago from the band um and the th references that he was talking about and the things that he was talking about in terms of what he wanted Loathe to become were so far outside of metal that whilst they didn't predict that they would do something, uh, th that they would do this, 
I, I, I was aware that they were definitely going to be releasing albums that were um, very distinct and different from one another. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think they'd mind you calling them a metal band and based on their first two albums, I think that's a fairly accurate and safe thing to say. But I do get the feeling that just like Radiohead were considered a Britpop band after their first album or maybe even first two albums as their career goes on it's going to be much much harder to define what loathe actually are because i think that's the ambitions that they have um and i think this album shows that yeah for sure i mean i having spoken to them and they were on the show just the week before their album came out last year and they made around a lot of... this time last year oh actually, this time last actually, year. actually this came out this actually did come out a year to the day after um, I let it in and it took everything. So Yeah. They were going to do whatever they wanted to do, yeah. weren't they? I mean, they chatted to us about many, many different genres of music mm-hmm. and many different things that they wanted to do. But this is a big shock, I would say, all the same. This feels like quite a big shock because I don't know if it's something about metal but I don't think it is actually because I think you would be shocked by pretty much most bands going from one extreme to the other within the space of a year to such an extent particularly a young band who aren't fully fully established at this point it's kind of all right for I mean let's be honest it's kind of all right for Radiohead with all the money they made from OK Computer to go fuck it we're gonna make Kid A Hmm. big established massive bands really should be making those kind of huge leaps of you know of faith and doing those kind of changes all the time they shouldn't be scared like radiohead after the okay computer i'm pretty sure had enough money to retire and also enough kudos in the bank to know that whatever they did on the next album millions of people were going to buy it mm-hmm. on the day it came out regardless mm-hmm. so why not do whatever they want to do which is what they did most bands don't do that it's even more difficult, I think, for a band who are two albums in and are, you know, playing to a couple of hundred people. Well, not being able to play to anyone at the moment, but were loath to come back and headline a show, say, in London. They're not going to Brixton Academy or an arena or even a, a big club, really. They're probably at best going to 500 people like the Underworld mm, would loathe go yeah, to. Yeah, I would expect. You, like you four saw or 500 them. people. You saw them last year, didn't you? And was it They were one of the last bands I saw, yeah. Omera, on the, was it? That you saw? Omera, yeah, which probably only holds about 200 people. Right, okay. Yeah, mm. yeah. They're the, not a big band in any by any stretch of the imagination. But their ambition is massive, and that's always been obvious, just from the stage show and what they do with it. And and also, you know, I, I, I as I say, I'll reiterate, I, I wasn't expecting them to do this necessarily, but it does kind of make sense in a way. It, it's not as if we haven't heard this thing from Loathe before at all, because there are ethereal mm-hmm. ambient passages on particularly the last record. Um, it's just this is an album which is predominantly entirely i would say um ethereal and uh relaxed and instrumental um and i think as someone who listens to a lot of that kind of music generally i think this is pretty good i I think it's really good actually in places um Mm. i read your review of it um for metal hammer 
I was about to bring that up because you inspired me actually, Renfrey, to oh. do the opposite of what I normally do. Because I reviewed this for earlier in the week for Metal Hammer, and I was very, very positive about it indeed. Yeah. And I kind of went in the opposite direction for how you've often moaned about me being, which is <laughs> rather than me going, "This is good, but you won't like it," to Metal Hammer readers. <laughs> yeah. I maybe understate, overstated how good it was because it was a metal band. And because of how refreshing it was to hear a metal band do something in metal that was so far outside of the confines of the genre of metal mm, mm, mm. that I was like, okay, actually, no, no, you all should go and listen to this mm, because mm. it shows you just, and you know, when taken out of the context of metal and put into the context of what it is, putting it up against Aphex Twin or Boards of Canada mm. or Flying Lotus or a lot of the things that, obvious reference points here for what this sounds like is it as good as them no you know obviously not but then you know they're a very very young band and this is their first time at doing it and they've just they've just done a record where you know (laughs) as good as i let in and it took everything was if you put that next to white it's kind of unfair because you or you put that next to white pony is it as good Mm. put it next to lateralis is it as good it's like well no it's not but they're they're still building and finding their feet and they're still continuing to evolve as a band. Yeah. And it, and, is, and it is still yeah. really good. You mentioned in that review that it's kind of a bit silly to um, pick out individual songs as highlights. And I do agree with you. But one thing you did say is highlights are basically whenever the sax comes in, which I completely yeah. agree with. Every single time the saxophone comes in on this um album it just oh it's just awesome it's such a kind of lackadaisical chilled sax vibe like lounge jazz kind of thing and it sounds great it it feels like you did mention this as another reference as well but the the biggest overriding feeling for me with this album is it does sound like 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 Van Gelis and Blade Runner was probably a massive inspiration for what they're yeah. doing, which is no bad thing at all. I mean, I know that's been an inspiration for bands over and over and over again, but this album really sounds like there's actually a particular scene. The first time Deckard um, sees Rachel and this, uh, this screen kind of lifts up and the sunlight comes through the window and there's a, there's a particular song or movement that accompanies that and this feels like a record made up entirely of that song but then that song is brilliant so there's no (laughs) i have no problem with that at all it feels like this record was kind of designed to um illustrate that moment but that's totally fine with me because it sounds really lovely and it's and it's really well pulled off it isn't you know of course it's not the quality of uh an oliver arnold's or a stars of the lid or anything like that um, but it is very, very strong. And if you compare it to, say, I mean, I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of other bands who um, at least have a foot in the metal world who have tried to do anything like this. And um, the first thing I thought of was uh, Bring Me the Horizon. I, I was going to bring up Bring Me the Horizon yeah. uh, in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the difference between... so. I mean, what I will say is I think this definitely needs a few listens before you really get into it. Yeah. I smashed through it four times on the trot when it came out and I did that review and it got more intense 
and more interesting with every listen. Yeah. So I would say to you, this isn't a long record. It's only 30 something minutes long, isn't it? 35 not, minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah. So it's not a long record. So you can probably give it a good four or five listens, which I think you should do to really, really get into it. Particularly if you're someone who likes Loathe because, you know, they remind you of that new metal band you you like and that's what you listen to yeah. and you've listened to this and gone what the actual fuck um but you know i think this to me it's not a gimmick and that bring me the horizon ep felt like a gimmick exactly. and it isn't completely indulgent and self-indulgent and that bring me the horizon ep was was massively self-indulgent yeah you know there were 28 minute long songs and they were just made up of pretty aimless noise this is 35 minutes in its entirety and it is made up of you know a, a series of movements which are interwoven and intertwined to the point where you go this is one really is one kind of 35 minute long piece really yeah it? i kind of view it like that as well and like you know i mean that um bring me ep obviously we're referring to the one with the stupidly long name rather the mm. than the uh post-human survival one um or post-human survival instinct whatever it's called um it felt like the purpose of releasing that was just to remind people that bring me the horizon or a band kind of thing you know rather than it felt, you know, and having, yeah, having ridiculously long songs on it. it. It was all more about like, what can we write in the press release to make it make us sound interesting and exciting? But the release itself was just, yeah, self-indulgent wank. And, and you just, you kind of, I didn't understand Bar kind of wanting to put themselves back out in the public again and... Um, have people go, oh, Bring Me the Horizon come out with a new P EP and it sounds completely different to anything they've done before. I couldn't really see the point in why they'd done it. And I don't feel that way about this at all. I imagine there might be some loathe fans who listen to this and go, well, I don't really see the point. But, you know, when I talk about things that are objectively good and objectively not good, that Bring Me EP just seems to serve no purpose at all, whereas this does serve a purpose. Um you know, this feels like it has a lot more, um, a lot more meaning behind it and ability and all well, that. Sort of I feel craft. like they're taking it, they're taking it seriously, aren't they? I yeah. mean, Bring me the Horizon EP was like, let's see how much shit we can chuck. It's Ollie, um, yeah, Ollie Sykes doing a fucking poetry reading or something, or just wanging on yeah. for like forty-five minutes. A bit, you get a little bit with Lotus Eater where they like do a sort of beat down riff or and then it's gone forever. Mm. And it was just like, it was, you know, it was, it was like a bit like what we, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's like this particularly, but when we're talking about Revolution um, number nine, when we did mm. the, mm. the mm. Beatles album, and you sort of go, well, somebody had to make that to know <laughs> sort of where the line was. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, Bring me the horizon weren't they're not they weren't pushing any boundaries but they weren't doing anything that was actually emotionally emotionally resonating with anyone i don't i don't think anyone i don't i think anyone wants to hear those songs live if loathe put their instruments down if loathe come back and do gigs and they put their instruments everyone puts their instruments down and they all decide to play like a, a 10 12 minute snippet from this record or a couple of songs from this record i think that would work really well within their live set 
Really interesting. Because I because I think yeah I do because I think it would be something really different, but they would be able to make that engaging because they obviously believe in it and they've obviously worked really hard on it. No one wants to go and see Bring Me Their Eyes and see like anything from that EP. I, I, I would be stunned if there is you could find a single person who would write their dream Bring Me Their Eyes and set list and it would have anything from that EP on it. Yeah, and the Spotify plays reflect that. I mean, that, those, that EP still has, most of the songs on it still have around a million plays, which is insane. Um, mm. But compared to their other songs that, you know, their other songs have closer to like a hundred million and stuff like that. So, um, so for them, it's significantly less. Um, but I don't think, I think this album deserves, I mean, I don't like this album as much as I like, uh, I let it in and it took everything, but I think mm -hmm. it deserves to, to be considered another album, you know, another loathe, loathe album rather than just some stupid vanity project or something like that, because yeah, me too. they do know what they're talking about and they do know what they're doing and they clearly do listen to this kind of music. I... In terms of like seeing bits of it live, I think it would, I would be quite more than happy to see this stuff kind of interspersed between songs. I think if you took a 10, 12 minute chunk of the set and just played this stuff, I think that could, that could potentially, um, the energy that you get at a loathe show could be dissipated quite massively if you did that. Um, I'm not sure. Really? Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure because I think that it's it's you know it's quiet and it's slight and it's sparse and it's ambient it's all those things but if they built a I'm thinking about a loathe show with the TVs and the lights that they yeah. have and all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah. yeah and I think they could tailor it to to really work I wouldn't be surprised at all if they have plans to do that kind of thing because that's the sort of ambition that they show and I think I could really see that when interviewing eric and that's a big part of the reason why i really jumped on them and wanted you know i was really enthusiastic about that record mm. last year and i can see that they are looking way past the boundaries of this genre that they started and obviously you know regular listeners will know that's something that we moan about all the fucking time so yeah. um you know whilst whilst i do think that there are better examples of this sort of thing out there i just really love the fact that loathe are prepared to go to these places and they have done a really nice job of it i'll definitely go back to this i'll definitely mm. go back to this and i'll listen to it a fair amount um and i think it's you know i do think it's strong i think it's good um and i would like to hear more of it but i think even more excitingly the next thing loathe do will probably be completely unpredictable yet again and that to me is way more exciting then hearing you know an album that sounds the fucking same over and over again which let's face it a lot of metal bands fall into yeah i mean i think we have to applaud this just because it shows that they're not ever going to stick to a single formula and yeah. at this point in their career that's that that is that is very very rare any metal band that does that deserves to be lauded and it doesn't really matter that they're jumping into a place and you're going, oh, you're not as good as the very, very, very best of that. Yeah. Like, that's fine. I think yeah, if totally fine. fucking Fort if Fortet decided to make a, um, a grindcore album, would it be as good as Napalm Death? <laughs> Almost not. certainly not. So, like, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, and, it, you know, and it's not totally indulgent. I think there's probably more for them to come for this. But, I mean, a few weeks back, we reviewed the Martin Gore EP. 
and we were very kind about that for him doing quite a similar thing and that's fucking martin gore yeah right that's a yeah. legendary established musician and i think this album is better than that yeah i do i do too yeah yeah so you know uh if we're giving martin gore like hey well done for not you know resting on your laurels this yeah. deep into your career and doing something different we absolutely have to be doing the same for loathe yeah. for sure absolutely so there you go go and have a little listen to that it's called the things they believe it's by loathe and it is out now it's been out for a little while to be fair uh the next album we're going to talk about comes from black country new road the album is called for the first time it's the debut album from the very much highly hyped london-based post-punk band again this has been getting some absolutely incredible reviews um we didn't do this last week because i mean god we had a lot going on last week didn't we um mm. so we couldn't really have squeezed this in but it has been getting some brilliant reviews even without us i think you pointed on the guardian saying that they're the uh, best new band in britain or something the quietus called them the best band in the world after they just released two singles which um is clearly ridiculous <laughs> um but sounds like something i'd say about dead life portrait back in 2000 <laughs> when they had a four track demo out um but i do kind of understand why they're saying that we'll get into that as the review goes on we also had a bunch of you contact us actually you you, you listeners you people listening right now and ask us if we were going to cover this record probably um probably the most requests we've had to cover a new record in quite quite a while i think mm. uh, and i can totally see why this album fits our remit very well of wanting to cover records that are well interesting i guess yeah uh, it's certainly very different and with all the hyperbole surrounding them i'm certain there will be a counter wave of people dismissing them as overhyped nonsense. I, I don't think that's happened quite yet, but I'm sure it's inevitable uh, mm. because when you get people like the Quietus um, saying they're the best band in the world after just a couple of singles, they've also had glowing reviews in the New York Times, NPR, and the Guardian. You know, some people are gonna come back and just be like, "Oh no, it's nonsense," and this is you know very defiantly not music for everyone mm. but it is very interesting um i think as is so often the case in terms of whether this is the best band in the world or pretentious nonsense uh, or whatever which i'm sure is what people will say it is i think the truth lies somewhere in the middle um probably um they are a seven piece um with uh the normal you know two guitars bass drums um that you would expect they also have a keys player a saxophonist and a violin player as well um which yeah. really broadens out their sound and makes it really really interesting um this is the other band who i think you could easily well not easily i think they're, they're another band that you could throw in with the post-rock banner certainly certainly in terms of um, experimental music and not having traditional song structures and not knowing where it's going to go next whilst people have been critics have been running around in circles trying to describe what this band sound like the band that comes up every single time is slint yeah. I've, I've not heard a band who sound like slint as much as this since slint like um and you know and slint have a very distinct sound um 
lots of dynamics in Slint's music, and this is the same. And that also, also that kind of spoken word, spoken sung kind of um, thing that you hear a lot in post-punk as well. This kind of, to me, this is kind of a mixture of Slint with that I Like Trains record that we covered last year. Um, but also a hint of like, nick cave's backing band the bad seeds mm -hmm. and, and i do mean the bad seeds rather than nick cave uh mm -hmm. because and i think those extra instruments the kind of um the the violin and the saxophone uh really bring that out um i really struggled with this album at first i really struggled with it at first when i first heard the opening track instrumental which is exactly what it says on the tin um i just rolled my eyes because i found the key the keys part the keyboard part that runs throughout it so irritating it it, it really sounded like oh well this is something that's come from shoreditch isn't it um <laughs> it was just so i found it so annoying so so annoying um and i couldn't I was so blindsided by this really irritating, repetitive keyboard part that I couldn't really see every anything else around it that was going on. But once I listened to the record a few more times, I actually realised that there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on with this record. And the way that they um, play against each other, this band, is really, really interesting. And quite... I, I, I would... I wouldn't go as far as to say unique, but it's certainly very different to a lot of bands that we hear now. I mean, as I say, Slint is probably the closest I can get. And 40 minutes later, this album's 40 minutes and 44 seconds, by the time the album finished with Opus, I'd found that there were so many elements of this band that really won me over. But it was, it was a hell of a journey. I can't think of an album that I've gone from hating to as much as i did to loving as much as i did by the end of it in one play mm. um but even on repeated plays there are things that kind of that i do still find irritating and annoying but there's also things that i find really sublime and brilliant about this record so it's a real it's a real hodgepodge for me uh what do you think of it I can see how this people, how this record, sorry, would wind people up a hell of a lot. Yeah. I found myself smirking at the lyrics one minute and then kind of rolling my eyes the next. Mm. It's, what it is, is I was trying, because I had a similar, sort of a similar sort of thing to it where I didn't really know how I, I, can't, I wouldn't say I didn't like it. Mm. I, I just felt like I didn't know so much how I felt about it really initially. And, it just it doesn't it doesn't attack from the get-go most post-punk albums most rock albums most sort of angular sounding records will will will, will like any a rock band they are broadly really 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 broadly speaking a rock band and most rock bands will form some kind of attack within at least the first half of the record, you know, usually within the first couple of songs. And they don't really. I mean, com again, compositionally, instrumental, with all the sort of salsa rhythms, mm. jazz instrumentals, discordant saxophone, that kind of fun house yeah. by the Stooges saxophone, yeah, yeah. which has got loads of that in it. 
it's not really what I expected from a post-punk band, which is what I had sort of been led to believe that they were. Um, I think there's a I lot think, of post-punk in them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there is. But that, but that shows very little of the hallmarks of that genre, yeah. I would say, on that first song. And the first proper, like Athens, France, which is the first proper song. Again, it's got, yeah, the stark, the bad, there's kind of starkness of Nick Cave's music. Um, and it leans on saxophone and a really loush drum of a clean guitar and it's unusual for a rock band it's a surprising thing to hear a rock band with no real pop song structure at all for the first sort of 10 minutes of the record Hence, uh, and, the may, post, and maybe yeah and and maybe not at all like you know maybe not there, there's not much in the way of a traditional song structure in this entire record really and there are very few choruses very yeah. very few and it's such an odd thing compositionally to hear i mean when you say that's where the post rock thing comes in they you could call them a post rock band because of the way that they create their songs but they're not post you know the the post punk indie kind of hipstery shoreditch hoxton thing they're not known for being post rocky at all oh they? no but this, this and, is, and that's think, why it's an unusual combination of things exactly what they're doing that's why it's a really that's why it's a really interesting record because it is it's certainly difficult to box them into a genre um and they do you know they clearly are very ambitious they're really young as well they're around like 2021 you know this is a very new mm. band they formed in 2018 i think um so for them to be doing stuff like this so early it's definitely one where i'm like i'm really interested in the future of this band and where they will go um and i think this is i do think this is a strong debut overall um like i said there are parts of it which i find teeth grindingly irritating but then when it is really good it's it's really really good i think the sun the, the sun i think the song sunglasses uh, which is almost 10 minutes in length, yeah. is an absolute... It's just astonishing, that song. Mm. Um, I mean, the way that... It, it's really quite beautiful and melancholy, but it builds to something pretty amazing. Horrible. And, horrible. and quite dark and quite horrible. Yeah. I mean, I've... Just to sort of... I mean, that's the point. I would say that, that is the point where I started going, yeah, they're actually very, very good. I mean, yeah. they got two tracks in, they had my attention. They had really grabbed my attention. Yep. And they yep. grabbed my attention by doing all the things that traditionally wouldn't grab your attention mm. in a rock band. Um, and it's stuff like like the third song, Science Fair, before we get into Sunglasses. I like that that started like Fugazi before transitioning into like a 60s Bond theme. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if this is actually moving me emotionally, but it starts to get intense. And then all the things, again, all the things you expect, like that song, Science Fair, you think this is about to go mad. It's building up. It's going to go crazy in a minute. And it doesn't. And instead you get this kind of theremin for a second and then that kind of sci-fi thing. And then you get the sax and guitar freak out and you just think I couldn't have seen it coming. And then it goes into an organ gallop. Yeah. And you go, I couldn't have seen that coming. And he's talking about an intimate performance at the Cirque du Soleil. And you go, well, this is telling a story of some sort. 
There's yeah. some kind of narrative that's going on here where you have left the place where you used to be and you're not there anymore. Yeah, and quite, yeah. and it's and it's got a beatdown at the end as well. Which yeah. I was like, that, that that's a beatdown. That's an actual fucking. That's a hardcore beatdown, but it, played on a saxophone and, and on an acoustic, not an acoustic guitar, but on a clean guitar. Yeah, the 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 riff at the end of that song is is like. It's a metal riff played by an indie band, almost. Yeah. You know, I'm not suggesting they are an indie band, to be honest. I, it is really difficult to say exactly what they are, but you know, it 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 does sound like a metal riff, but played through indie kind of uh, instrumentation. Silence Fair is a really interesting song for me because it, that one song encapsulates everything that I like about this band and everything I dislike about them as well. I think there's quite a few, like that song starts with like just guitar being played randomly over the top of this um bass and rhythm part um uh, in a kind of noise sort of fashion which just seems to complete i mean it just doesn't seem to go anywhere initially um but then when they actually settle down and start playing the song properly it starts to get far more interesting um I think this band do kind of degenerate into noise in a really interesting way sometimes, but they also seem to do it sometimes for the sake of it. And I think the first time they do it on that song, Science Fair, it, it I mean, I'll give them, it's an unusual way to start a song. I'll say that much, but I don't <laughs> think it really works. It doesn't work for me anyway. Um, but yeah, as you say, I mean, Fugazi was something that I wrote in my notes as well. It, it As it goes on, it becomes something really interesting and far more like along the experimental lines of Fugazi. Um, and I think they straddle the line between genius and pompous quite a lot. And sometimes they, 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 they leap over both, you know, into both of those things quite a lot throughout the record um i think a good example of this is the lyrics isaac wood's lyrics he's been exalted as a genius by some and pretentious by others and i can see both sides of the argument on that one personally mm. but what i will say is i would much rather someone wrote lyrics in a poetic fashion even if it is a little nasal gaze, ga uh, navel gazing sometimes or a little showy sometimes, I'd rather take the, the lyrical stylings of Isaac Wood, the vocalist in this um, band, over an Ollie Sykes or a Liam Gallagher or a Johnny Burrell, you know? Yeah. At least with Wood's lyrics, it feels like there's something to dissect. There's definitely something going on. You might not know precisely what it is, but there's, he's definitely singing about something. Um yeah, it all feels oddly specific. I mean, Cedric Bixler, I mean, one of the reasons yeah. Relationship of Command is one of my favourite albums because I, I do go, what on fucking God's earth are you talking about? Yeah, it's not right. like that Chino Moreno thing where you're like, I don't really know what you're saying. It all feels like this kind of stream of consciousness and it probably is about something that's quite important, but I don't know what that is. Whereas someone like Cedric, you're like, well, there's no way this is a stream of consciousness. This is definitely specifically about something and it's not about and it's not up for my interpretation i just have to go i don't know what he's on about yeah yeah, yeah i haven't got on. a fucking clue i wonder and how difficult it would be to try and piece that together to genuinely understand it is one of the things that the fact that I, most at the driving songs i have absolutely no idea what they are referring to whatsoever no absolutely but they still I, sound powerful yeah and i don't care because yeah. like you know 
<laughs> the constant want to always try and know like what what is that what does that mean is yeah. is an amazing little easter egg or whatever to try exactly. and work that out it is, and it's I think like so a mystery to try and work out and and i will say just before we move on for that sorry mate I, I i think isaac would he sometimes does trip over himself trying to trying to be too smart maybe but i would say at least he's trying to write something interesting and profound and i'd much rather see someone try and fail than not try at all mm. here's the difference between him and cedric bixler is this though cedric bixler never sounded smug that's true <laughs> it's what i will say so i mean to talk about sunglasses which is you know i again i think is comfortably the best song on the record you get kind of two minutes of siamese dream era smashing pumpkins yeah. guitar part which i yeah. really love Brilliant. the lyrics talk of uh complaining of mediocre theater all day and the absolute pinnacle of british engineering but that line, I'm so ignorant now with all I've learned, rather than before I was like, oh, what are you going on about fucking pinnacle British engineering and mediocre theatre? And then you realise that probably that's all done sort of sarcastically, ironically, with his tongue in his cheek. I think and it's the same way as um, people kind of misinterpret Joe Talbot from Idols. They see it on a surface level and they go, oh, they're oiks. They're, you know, but they're, mm. I, I think most likely he's um he's mocking that kind of thing yeah and it leads that first bit to this total cacophony of noise about five minutes in yeah. and i assumed that was going to be the end of the song but you're actually only halfway through at that yeah. point and this that, is that's for me one of, that's one of the cacophonies of noise which works for me yeah and that's when it starts getting really good i think that yeah. clipped riff that drum pattern that i am yeah. invincible in these sunglasses i am the fonds uh, a little nod to kids dressing up like richard hell which yeah, richard yeah, hell is yeah. quite a great thing for them to talk about considering how they sound and it starts to get really really intense um highland scott walker a, a surprisingly smooth talker i thought was again quite a mm. funny little line and when it all comes in with the brass playing that massive riff it's really powerful it's a bit like the end of rated r by queens of stone age mm. you know but better, that, but, but better yeah I'm more than adequate. Leave Kanye out of it. Leave my yeah. daddy's job out of it. I mean, the first time I heard that with the Kanye mention, I was like, you're so smug. You're <laughs> such a smug hipster prick. You're definitely playing up to that East London hipster thing. But I actually quite like it now because I think the addition of that, leave my daddy's job out of it is, again, oh, you're you're taking the piss. And well, see, yeah, I mean, when you when you say a line like that, it seems obvious that it's mocking that kind of thing yeah i would have thought i think so i mean and i think following it up with track x which is this great little alternative 90s indie riff and a sort of plinky plonky violin the top plucked violin parts mm. when the female backing vocals come in it's quite a yeah. nice thing to do after what has been yes. such an intense song previously yeah. and so again dynamically massive i mean there was that line, I told you I loved you in front of Black Midi. Come on, mate. Don't need that. Like, <laughs> too much. Um, and the last song, Opus, again, eight minutes long. And it's, you know, it's really unusual to have such long songs in this genre. If, if it is, if it is, if it is even part a post-punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it is a post-punk album, which, you know, I'm, certainly has a lot of elements of post-punk. But at the same time, you know, 
I saw it as a post-rock record. You saw it as a post-punk record. I think it's both of those things and none of those things. Um, yeah. I think the album ends brilliantly with Opus. Um, it's uh, Klezmer inf- influenced. Um, we've only talked about Klezmer music once on this podcast before, and it was uh, for the Jane's Addiction special mm. uh, because the girl, uh, the, you know, the, the song, of course, um, is very influenced by that sort of stuff. But again, I mean, Klezmer is not the sort of thing that you would tend to hear all that much in modern Western rock music. And it's a really interesting diversion into something very different and very odd. But it works really, really well, you know. I think the second half of this record, it's only six tracks. I think the second half of this record, which is these songs which we just talked about, Sunglasses, Track X and Opus, frankly, is fucking amazing Mm. i think the first half instrumental athens france and science fair has brilliant moments but also moments which i find really cloying and annoying um but the good bits on this record in my mind are exceptional i think i think they're really good and for Mm. a band as young as this you know 21 kind of 20 21 years old I do kind of, whilst the quietest assertion that they're the best band of the world is is hugely overblown. I mean, there's no doubt about it at all. I can see why they're getting behind this because um, they have the potential to be something properly special, properly Mm. special to kind of to say that they are that special now, I think is not the case. And let's face it, it could go the other way as well. It might, you know, if it, I mean, if this is the best thing that they ever do, then they will just be a footnote. You know, they won't, they won't like. Um, but the when this is good, I think the quality is really, really, really high. Um, yeah, I agree. The second half of it is good. I mean, that last song, Opus, which I mean, I've written Go Go Bordello because it's got a kind of gypsy feel to it and the hovis advert as well <laughs> so two different things it's an, you know it's it's an inch really really interesting record and i think parts of it are brilliant i think that they're great and i totally commend them for not conforming to the usual songwriting tropes yeah. at all and i think so much of it is really impressive but it's it's quite a hard album to love i feel it's it certainly makes it hard sometimes it makes Mm. it really hard for you sometimes um i think in a way i'm actually really whilst i do think this album has been overhyped by some i'm kind of in a way i'm kind of glad it has at least at least this is interesting and different do you know what i mean it makes a hell of a difference from when you know the same sort of publications were overhyping i don't know well, I don't know if the quietest ever overhyped Razor Light or something like that. But like, I mean, it's night and day, you know, in terms of like, this is at least a really interesting, well-composed record. It doesn't always pull off its ambitions and what it's trying to do. But, you know, they're really young. And mm. if this is their Pablo Honey, can you imagine what their OK Computer would be like? Yeah, it'd be amazing. It would be fucking incredible um we'll have to wait and see um but yeah i think this is really really interesting as i said sometimes i find it really irritating but at least it keeps my attention and i will definitely be going back to it throughout the year and i'm pretty certain that the more i listen to it the more i will get into it as well 
So last thing on this record, Renfrey. Mm. Here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna put my like figuratively and literally I'm gonna stick my neck on the line. If this album doesn't get nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, I will get the artwork for Corey Taylor's CMFT album <laughs> tattooed on my neck. I am that confident that this album will get nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. I'm happy to go on record to say that. Do you, you really want me to leave that in? Because you might. Have. Yep. Um, I, I actually think that's a great shout. And I think it's very, very likely. I just, I will be absolutely distraught if uh, it doesn't get nominated <laughs> because um, I don't want you to have to get that tattoo. No, I don't. But I am that confident. Hmm. I am 99.99999 recurring percent confident that this will get nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. I think that's a good shout. Yeah, I think it's very, very likely. I'm not yeah. going to get a tattoo on my fucking neck if it doesn't <laughs> of, an, of an album that I hate. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's pretty likely. Yeah. So there you go. That's Black Country, New Road for the first time. It is out now. Let's do another album that we had last week. And again, you know, we had a week of Foo Fighters, Paul Simon, Weezer, Seager Ross, Colt Luna, and other things. We couldn't get to everything, unfortunately, which meant we missed this, the Ruins of Beverast album. The Thule Grimmeries is the sixth studio album from the German black metal band. They've actually been around since the early noughties, and it is a follow-up to their 2017 album, Excuvia. Where have this lot come from? Um, last week, Germany. <laughs> but last week, uh, Merlin from Metal Hammer said to me, have you heard this album? It's great. And I said, well, look, you know, we've got so much shit on. I wasn't going to go and check out some old bloody German metal band. But then I did. Yeah. And fuck me. This is great. Yeah. I I, I feel, um, I, I think we've, uh, we've mentioned in the past that neither of us are like um, experts when it comes to the extreme metal end of things. But um, when I started listening to this record, I felt a little bit embarrassed that I'd not heard of them before because they have been around for a while and they are really, really fucking impressive, aren't they? Um, mm. I think aficionados of the extreme metal underground have been aware of them for some time. Um, and I, I did actually, I mean, after hearing this record, I did go back to the last album as well. Uh, Everas, what was it called? I think it's Everas or something like that. Um, and and that's good. That's a Excuvia. Good... Excuvia. Um, and that is a good record, but it didn't hit me or grip me in the same way that this new one has. So, I mean, based on one listen to that other record, you know, I probably should listen to it a lot more. But this album uh, is very epic. It's got incredible depth and it is really it's clear that it's going to get better with more and more listens, but it also gripped me the first time I heard it. Uh, it was just a few minutes into listening to the opening song ropes into Eden that I realized that we really need to cover it this because there's a lot going on on it. A lot going on. And I mean, to be honest, people probably picked up on this with us before. I think I, I'm, I feel like I can speak for both of us on this particular point, Renfrey, but we, I think both of us, like, when we listen to black metal, when you say we're not experts in the extreme world, I mean, I think I listen to quite a lot of death metal. I listen to a fair bit of grindcore. Mm, but okay. black metal, but mm. black metal in particular, yeah. has probably been the thing out of those extreme metal genres that I've had the least interest in throughout my entire life. Yeah. Like, it's only really been the last sort of 
12 13 years i've paid any real attention to black metal at all at all really and it's about the last eight for me mm. and i think we probably you and i like our black metal to sound quite nice i think we probably prefer the big major label clout crystal click production of somebody like cradle of filth on or dimu borgia on one hand i think on the sliding scale from there to the tape deck in the hessian sack of the second wave of norwegian black metal bands i think i would be far closer to the super shiny yes. dimu borgia than i would be the the dark throne that's not to say that i don't like some dark throne because i actually shouldn't have said them because i like a lot of stuff they've done and that's always been a bit of a sticking point for me when it comes to a lot of these bands and that's why i like a band like ruins of beveras to sound still grimy still dirty but everything i can pick everything out and even though it sounds horrible and kind of necro it's got so much more going on than just like biscuit tin battering and do you know what i mean it's it actually sounds fucking great i mean the third song on it which is called Cromlech nell yeah starts like a fear factory song mm-hmm. yep. it's almost got that da, 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 and it's got this awesome gothic tone to it it's got melody in it as well mm-hmm. great melody and it, as well yeah and it's got it sounds like something that people would like to listen to. Yeah, it's got that um, chorus guitar part, choruses in the guitar effect chorus as opposed to a chorus, um, which sounds has got more in common with The Cure than uh, anything, than stuff I've heard in black metal generally. Um, and yet it's incorporated in such a way that y- you couldn't ever, like... I can't imagine someone, you know, who's like a, a massive metal fan looking at this and going, oh, it's not metal enough or anything like that. You know, yeah. um, it's really like it's st- it doesn't betray its roots in the metal genre, I think. And the way that um, I think this album starts really well, but it's it's Cromlech Nell onwards where this album gets really mm. good, like really yeah. interesting. Um, and the way that it's 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 actually a one man band project thing isn't it um it's Ag- alexander von Malenwald. um the way that he keeps your interests up throughout the record is really astonishing for a especially for an album of this type it's incredibly diverse there's a lot going on a song like mammothopolis sounds completely different to anything that's come before it has a more of a kind of industrial Nine Inch Nails type of vibe or even something that Typo Negative might have done. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a lot of that on there. And I think whenever there are clean vocals on this record, there's a deep kind of baritone to it, which is very Gar-like or even very Pete Steele-like. Um, and then there's other songs like, I mean, the the female vocals, which begin Anchorus in Furs, are absolutely awesome and remind me a little bit of Rodlene Getzik's performance on Deftones Knife Party. It's all wails and anguish yeah. howls that somehow feel kind of melodic as well. And then the song like becomes this really slow funereal dirge before breaking into a, an incredibly tribalistic drumming pattern before changing yet again and bringing in more of that chorus-drenched cure-esque guitar that was so brilliantly used on Cromlech now. And all of the songs 
go through these different um, moods and styles and yet manage to move between their constituent parts incredibly organically and with an incredibly strong sense of fluidity. Mm. Um, it's really masterfully put together. When I, when I saw that this record was it's almost 70 minutes, seven tracks over 70 minutes. So the, I mean, the average length of a song is 10 minutes, which is crazy. And I was like, oh God, this could be a real, this could be a real slog. Um, but it really isn't because it's so... Uh, it goes to so many different places and it, it there's clearly a lot of influence outside of any extreme metal realms like clearly well we've also got more sax i mean three sax, al yeah. albums on the chart isn't it more sax that last song deserts to bind and defeat i mean which is quite the journey that is i think is that the longest song on the yeah, it's 14 minutes 14 and minutes. seven seconds long yeah. that last song and it's a massive journey and it starts with these again discordant brass sax parts which you know are not let's be honest they're not completely unique to black metal no, at this not. point um but they still sound fucking amazing yeah, and i think great. what was it we were talking about the other week where i was like i was a tribulation album where it's like everything that you kind of want from heavy music if you can combine and you can if like you say if you can remain in that box i mean we've just been really nice about loathe because you know they're so disinterested in just sticking into that metal box but the best metal bands are the who remain kind of heavy metal bands are the ones who find ways to stay very very closely inside the box of heavy music whilst bringing so much other stuff to the table yeah that they become just far more interesting bands and just another thrash band who go, oh, what's your favourite? What music are you inspired by? Slayer and Metallica. Oh, well, you're not going to be as good as them, are you? So why bother? Um, you know, the the gothic wash of some of the guitars, like you mentioned with The Cure, it's got this real pagan mystique and darkness to it throughout, yeah, yeah. which I think is fucking cool. And It feels occulty, doesn't it? Occult, yeah, occult really occulty. And again that that discordant post-punk early punk rock garage rock stoogesy thing that kind of sits kind of below the surface when you mentioned i mean again we we mentioned richard hell but i guess suicide as well mm. you know the the kind of the the industrialized you know very early industrial influences is in there as well yeah and pure heavy and stuff like that yeah and and just pure heavy metal power mm. like it's, actual metal as well like it, it never again kind of like again it's very much like we're saying about the tribulation album although this sounds nothing like the tribulation album but it still manages it never loses that pure heavy metal grit and power to it which i think is why it works so well yeah. personally it's always 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 very clearly and distinctly a metal album even on a song like mammothopolis i think there's mm. still enough things around it where you go well this is metal but it it takes so many different influences and so many different ideas from other things and it makes the whole thing really really interesting and whilst you know this doesn't ever feel like it, it, it's not one of those records which oh it's 70 minutes but it feels like it goes by in half an hour or something it yeah. feels long and epic 
but not in a way that is boring or it's you know it's not it's uh lord of the rings rather than kingdom of heaven you know um it's it's really it's it just feels like a really really epic journey stuffed full of lots of really interesting things kind of in the same way that that wilderan album was last mm. year um something a little less metal but in a similar has a similar kind of uh diversity and brevi- uh diversity to it is that martin gretsch record as well yeah. i think um and it's just it's very very well done indeed there aren't any there's nothing i would take off this album certainly in terms of songs or even moments i think it's really really well composed and really well crafted um i know it's only february but this is easily my favorite metal release of the year so far it's only strong competition to my ears is tribulation and possibly portrayal of guilt if you would include that in metal although i'm yeah you, know, you could you could um but this album is so much more ambitious and epic in scope and i think it manages to pull off that ambition in spades like really really well um it has that untangible quality of it feeling like a classic record in a way doesn't it i mean you know you talked about this once when i when i uh, another band they remind me of is smash yeah their last album year of no light i got really really over the top with it and i was like i think this is as good as the safeness um which you know in a weird way i do but you said something very uh perceptive which was like the satanist has this aura around it which just smacks of classic album Mm. whereas the year of no light album whilst it might be technically as good and you know be almost as interesting and varied i think as interesting and varied it doesn't have that aura of classic album about it i kind of feel like this does it does actually yeah i i agree with that i mean maybe not to the extent because i think it, not to the know, extent the, of the satanist the, the no. story the story behind what happened around the satanist was like one of those kind of impossibly uh unusual moments in uh an artist's career i think but what i would say about this record is that it's not really doing anything totally new but it just manages to fill the gaps of so many things in a way that i've not really heard anyone do i don't think we had an album that rem- that, that was like this last year like maybe that's me being you know I, there wasn't really an extreme oh, well, a napalm death album was but in my top 20 there wasn't really an extreme album in the same way as we were as i looked at like full of hell like weeping choir by full of hell and you're like people that's just that's just changed and the the kind of the goalposts for how good that genre can be Mm. and i don't know if there are a bunch of traditional heavy metal bands playing black metal with loads of gothic noir influences beneath them and melding them all together in such a brilliantly brilliantly coherent way as ruins of beverage do here Mm. there might there might be get in touch if there are but i certainly see this as something where you would point at that and go i can imagine loads of people wanting to sound like this that's how i think Mm. that's sometimes how you look at a classic album like 
Sempaternal, how many fucking bands came along and ripped off Sempaternal? How many bands have been ripping off Forever by Code Orange? Mm. How many bands were ripping off the sound of the Satanist in the aftermath? Bands who had nothing to do with those genres as well yeah, in a lot of yeah, cases. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Soulfly album that came out a year or so after the Satanist was chucking in horns and doing kind of arcane black metal bits. And that's Soulfly. Yeah. You know, so that's when you can tell how classic, if you like, and how influential an album is going to be. And I would imagine a lot of metal bands, if they get the chance to hear this, would hear this kind of amalgam of all of those things that I've just said and gone, this sounds like a pretty, like to me, this sounds classic, but but very contemporary and very of the moment as well. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think that's why I've really taken to it. It kind of, I mean, the album it reminds me of the most from last year is that Wilder and Record, but that did actually yeah. technically come out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really, I've really, really taken to this. And when I sort of heard what it was about and all that kind of thing, I mean, one of the one of the uh, genres that it's been put in with is Doom. And, you know, we've talked mm. about Doom and our feelings on Doom. Uh, in the past and there are certainly elements of doom on this record but there's so much more to it as well um that it really keeps my interest up throughout um it's really foolhardy to say this sort of thing and i will probably end up regretting it but this is the first <laughs> you're gonna get a cory taylor tattoo on your neck if, if <laughs> this is the first album that i've heard this year where i've gone that we've covered so far that i should say uh where i've gone that's quite likely to be in my top 20. Mm. Well, I would imagine, Steve, I mean, I've already said that I'm pretty positive a Stephen Wilson album will be in my top 20 come the okay. end of the year. Mm. But, I mean, this is, if you ask me to do my favourite five albums of the year so far, I think this would probably be in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I know it's only the second week of February, but... It's yeah. really early and, you know... Don't certainly this, above the fucking but... Foo Fighters album, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say this, though. I keep singing melodies in my head and it turns out they come from that Foo Fighters record. So, and I'm not going back on what I said last week, but Dave Grohl does have a way with the melody, whether you like that <laughs> album or not. Yeah. I keep doing that whilst doing the dishes. Ridiculous. Well, stop doing the dishes then would be my <laughs> suggestion to you, Renfrey. <laughs> Uh, there you go, Runes of Beverast. It's called The Thool Grimmeries and it's out right now. Uh, our last album comes from a band called Lut. The album is called Mersmack. It's the second album from the Norwegian punk rock quintet, the follow up to their 2017 debut album, Pandion. Um, this band, Renfrey, got a fair old bit of, again, quite a bit of love in their, particularly in their native Norway. People mm. feel like, it feels like people are getting very excited about them over mm. there. So we wanted to kind of get in there before. Well, not we are probably the only people that are going to cover it. Uh, I would imagine in the UK press quite that much because I've not seen anyone mention them in any way whatsoever in the UK ever. I reviewed, we got it. Sent it. I reviewed it for Metal Hammer. Okay. Well, there you go. That's <laughs> me not doing any kind of fact checking whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, they're not getting get interviewed in metal. Well, we're not interviewing them, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, listen, we both went. Oh, that sound. This sort of sounds good, doesn't it? It's like an indie, Scandi rock, Cavellataki punk rock thing. That sounds like what we'd like. I mean, there were there was talk of Turbo Negro and Cavellatak and 
blood, blood commands, commands, blood commands, and stuff like that. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's um, there's something really Norwegian about this record. Um, mm. Really Norwegian, and I don't ma- mean that in a black metal sense. I mean that in a oh, they, well, no, there's not much black metal on this. But there's those bands like Blood Command and Blood Command and Kvel Attack. I think are the two really where it's like yeah. okay, this is a nice cross of the kind of more party elements of blood command particularly funeral beach i think funeral beach funeral beach um kind of mixed with uh even more sense of party fun so it's like if blood command were playing andrew wk's i get wet in a Mm way um this album and but then at the same time um they've also like cited paramore as one of their big influences and i think i don't think paramore is a good sort of for fans of description but having said that i do understand where they're coming from with that there is a sense of party and a sense of melody Mm. to most of this album even though a lot of the, the vocals are screamed there is a real sense there is that kind of black and roll sort of thing it's not really black and roll is it it's kind of Hey, help me out, Steve. It's a s- it's kind of it's it's Scandi rock indie punk with like you say. There's not a lot of black metal in it, but because Norway is synonymous with that cold, icy, blasting sound, their yes. punk rock tends to have the same sort of iciness that you would traditionally associate with the you know Swedish or Norwegian bands from that more extreme metal genre there you go and you've done that very well yes thanks very much and i think straight in you've got that cavell attack vocal with the hives s scandy rock and it's a delightful sound and although to me it's funny that you're mentioning bands like black metal and paramore and even turbo negro and stuff because this is definitely musically more indie ish i think i mean the first song reminded me I'm ashamed to say, reminded me of Hard to Beat by Hardfi, which is not a good thing at all, but I still like the song. What can I say? I thought it was a good opening song. And I'm, I'm glad to say that they do kind of chuck that this might be an ongoing comparison in the bin straight away immediately with the next song, which is called Strictly Business, which is very pop punky. It's very yeah. pop punky. So I think the Paramore thing, I mean, I think I compared, I said, when I first reviewed Blood Command, the first ever time I reviewed him, I said it was like, if you like Arch Enemy and Paramore in a big pile up on the M4, yeah. this is what it would sound like. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of name checking those bands when they're name checked alongside something so completely different from the other thing. And I think I think that's why Blood Command keeps coming up for me. It's not even that they necessarily sound like Blood Command, but they have that kind of that sense of melody while still having a really harsh, heavy edge. Mm. So I think it's that particularly Pagan to an extent had that as well. Yeah, I think. yeah. Uh, even yeah. though they're Australian, yeah, yeah weird, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I like them actually a bit more. Dare I say it? When they're a bit more, when when they are a bit more indie landfill. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this, the third song in it, Lutero, or sorry, Lut, Luter, Lutetro, is is very mainstream sounding in its actual musical palette, if you like. Mm-hmm. But the vocal, but for me, it's the vocals do so much of the heavy lifting here. Mm. If you put a boring, typical 
UK indie vocalist on some of these songs, I don't think it would fly at all. Mm. But that yelped high-pitched vocal and the kind of barked backing vocals in a different language yeah makes just an absolute world of difference yeah like there's probably my favorite like there's a song called velp vapor on it Mm -hmm. for example which is probably my favorite song it's got a really anthemic very straightforward rock vibe it sounds like i think if you took the vocals out of it i think it could it could have even sat on something like that Foo Fighters album that we were talking about mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. It is a really, really clean, straightforward, to the point, simple indie rock song. But you put those vocals on it and it just completely stands out and it's really, really cool. And yeah. for me, they're actually a much better band when they're doing something a little bit more mainstream than when they go down the the punkier, more high-octane, heavier route because their vocals make them stand out enough i think they certainly sound more individual when they go down uh that that slightly poppier indie route i think um i think this is a band which people are definitely going to be hear a lot from because uh lars Ulrich's given him uh given them his patronage um yeah yeah which will um which will probably you know mean that they'll get uh flung into um places that they normally wouldn't uh sort of mm. in a similar way to like how bacassa how that happened and things like yeah. that um they've also <laughs> new there is new squeeze are they because bacassa sort of was like oh my god and then not really heard much from bacassa yeah, well, since yeah, exactly. um they were also nominated for a new band of the year in the norwegian grammys and stuff like that for their first album so i think there's certainly a lot of um there is a lot of people talking about this record and it is a really interesting amalgam of different things. I don't think it, it's quite a short, it's, it's 34 minutes. Well, it's 35 mm-hmm. minutes, sorry. And I, and it's what, nine songs, 10 songs, 10 songs. And I don't think it completely, there's around like home fatal, home fatal. I think around that kind of, part of the album which is track seven i think i start to lose interest a little bit it totally like the last song india is my favorite on the album it's fairly me it's really the longest one (laughs) well it's only five minutes and 34 seconds but yes it is the longest one it's really anthemic and it's mid-paced and um it's probably the least loose sounding song that they've that on the record which is interesting. Not that I don't like what they do. I think this album starts really, really strongly. Um, gets a little tedious towards the end, but then finishes on the best song of the record. Um, mm, that is a good song, that last song, yeah. That's a brilliant song. Um, but songs like Bangkok, Nonstop, and We Will Save Scandi Rock, um, you know, in that kind of turbo negro, just like, you know, beers in the air kind of scandy fun rock thing it's it's a really good version of it i think i i I really you know i really really like this album and i think it's quite different to other stuff even if it doesn't sustain my interest throughout from through what is a very short album but i probably only cut five minutes off it um or i would have replaced like a couple of the songs towards the end uh with something a bit stronger but yeah i think i think it's really good overall really good album definitely well worth checking out 
Yeah, I mean, look, this is a good band. It's, th- this album is not going to change anyone's life by any stretch no, of imagination. No. But if you have missed, because I haven't really been, I mean, I can't really remember the last time we spoke about a band even in this ilk at all. Probably like Danger Face would have been one of the last times yeah. we spoke about something. And I mean, I, I would take Danger Face's album over this personally. I suppose we did yeah. uh, Baron yeah. Womb as well was another mm-hmm. one that we did. So, you know, we always, we, I think we both like this type of music. Yeah, yeah. And... I think it helps that we both like this type of music. They're slightly different to those other bands that I've just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, because I think they are a bit more, they're probably the ones who would, I mean, if you always went, ah, oh, it's too dirty, it's too fast, it's too heavy, don't like how, you know, how aggressive it is. Um, they're probably a really good way into that type of music because yeah, this is quite a clean sounding version of it. And it's not, I think for for people who are like, you know, turbo juggins, they're not going to listen to this and be like, amazing. So probably go, well, this is a much more, this is a far more kind of, I don't want to say watered down, but an easier sounding, a nicer sounding version of that. But if you've never really got into that stuff, but you've always thought, I would quite like to listen to one of those bands, but I just never have. This isn't a bad place to start. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I, I certainly, I definitely agree. I much prefer Danger Face. I think I probably preferred this album to that Baron Womb album, although the Baron Womb album was a lot of fun as well. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, they're not kind of, certainly not Blood Command level, who are fucking mm. fantastic, or Cavell mm. Attack at their best. They're, they're much better than Cavell Attack at their worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's really... I think it's a really, really interesting record. It's their only their second. Um, it has a really nice mix of different things. And I think it's, I personally think its strength is the fact that it has that weird kind of indie sheen to it. It's Yeah. That's sort of my favourite thing about it, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's the thing mm. which marks them out amongst those bands. Um, yeah, definitely. for sure. Decent. And that's it. So that's called Mez, uh, sorry, Mersmac by the band Loot. Oh, I just speak English like everyone else. <laughs> Why do you have to be so awkward coming from a different country? Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We still, Slow Tie's been put back. It's two weeks around. I've gone, I think we we'll do Slow Tie next week. His bloody album's been put back, isn't it? So we still haven't got Slow Tie. Sorry about that. Next week, we will definitely be reviewing the Hold Steady and we will definitely be reviewing Mogwai, hence why Renfrey did a dance earlier. Doing, Doing it again. Thank the Lord that you can't see that. Go over <laughs> to signaturebrew.co.uk, put Riot Act in the checkout. You can get 10% off all of their delicious beverages, which are currently winging their way down the motorway to our houses right now maybe i hope so i hope so we're out come on john thanks very much for listening guys we'll be back next week we'll let you know how that blag went cheers